Well, I am super excited today. We, uh, we get to celebrate people who are taking that public step of faith in water baptism, and it's really a big part of the Christian faith. We should never forget, never overlook, and never diminish. It's really important. We're on week number two of our Mile Markers series, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, everybody has heard that message, and if you haven't heard part one from last week, please, I encourage you, go online, uh, get the podcast on, on iTunes or go on the website, on our Emmanuel website, and you can watch it online because everything we're doing in this series, I'm building off of that first week, that first message where we're talking about growth and the development of our faith. And we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, which said, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. For he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. So we talked about following Jesus means that we're going to grow to become more like him. Much like people grow in life, they grow up, they grow in. Last week, we had four people that were on the platform, and I had four different chairs this week. I'm just going to let the... Uh, the little label here represent the people that were here. Everyone that comes to faith in Jesus comes and they start off as a newborn babe. They may not know anything about the faith. They might be brand new and they need to be fed. They love Jesus. They're excited, but they might need their diaper change, right? So they're in a story change. They're, they're, they're learning, okay? But they really have to be fed. That's the earliest phase of the Christian walk. Then as they grow a little bit older into the childhood phase, mom and dad teach them, okay? In the spiritual terms of spiritual growth, somebody comes along and educates and teaches us. For little kids in real life, it's don't do this, do this, don't do that, don't, you know, and it's a lot of do's and don'ts, and mom and dad are right. How many know that... Uh, Kids need guidance. They can't just make it up on their own. That's why I'm a little mad at the world right now. Uh, the rest of our culture seems to think that kids know how to make up their mind about what they are and aren't when they're in this stage. It's ridiculous if you ask me. They need guidance. They need teaching. They need parenting. They need development. Amen. <laughs> same, with, same with your Christian walk. So don't get upset if you're in either two of these phases. This is where you should be and you should grow. And as you grow, you move along the phase and we hit the adolescent phase, you know, the teenage young adult phase of life. It's a really important change. How many know that with teenagers, mom and dad aren't as smart as they used to be, right? And even in the faith, we kind of go through those phases as well. And actually it's good because we're developing our own faith. Instead of being told what to believe, we now begin to ask the question of why do I believe what I believe and what should I do with my life? It's kind of a, a tense period of time of wondering who they could trust and not trust. In the spiritual terms, people want to grow in faith. And you hit this phase, you want to know why you believe it, not just swallow whatever the preacher's yelling at you or somebody else tells you to do. That's good because it's developing your own personal faith. But it also is wrought with danger and kind of trap doors, if you will, because in this phase, it's all about you. It's the selfie phase of life 
where you evaluate church and other people through the lens of what they do for you. And when you think about, well, how about serving? How about helping somebody move on Saturday morning? Uh, I'm not called to that, thank you very much. Uh, and, and, and we begin to view it through our own personal lens. And if we stay here, this is a dangerous place. Many people in the church world are stuck at this phase. They evaluate church by what it does for them. They evaluate uh, the walk of faith by what it does for them. But how many know if you stay in that place and you become selfish enough, then nothing's ever good enough. And you don't become like Jesus. Suffering will happen. There'll be difficult phases and God allows it, as we talked about last week, so that we can grow in our faith and stretch our faith and we can become more mature. And then as we move into spiritual adulthood, we've already discovered our why. We know Jesus is faithful. When we hit difficult things, we don't freak out because we know he's he got us through it before, he's gonna get it through us again, right? And so we're okay, but we also have a responsibility in the mature phase to go back and mentor the next generations, to, to hold the infants and to take care of training the kids and, and to develop the faith of the people that are in adolescence and walk alongside them while they develop their own faith. This is a highly responsible part of the journey. My goal as a pastor is that every one of us in here would grow from phase to phase to phase. And unfortunately, the truth of the matter is there are many people who are in churches who have been in churches for decades and they went through these phases, hit this season, the mature phase, and then they kind of got sucked into the retirement mentality. Some, some, I, I've done my time, I've served, I've given my time, now it's about me. And not, without realizing it, they slip into this chair. And we have a, a boomer generation, for example, right now that is caught in between these two areas. And they're looking and they're wondering, how can I have significance with my life, but I wanna have fun. And I'm just telling you this, if you're gonna follow Jesus, re-up, baby, into the mature phase and be who Jesus is calling you to be at this stage of your life. So that's all last week, right? And we have a responsibility to consider what we're doing with our life to think about our own heart and our own spiritual development and then move to the next phase. Today is the daily yes. Say that with me. The daily yes. There's an interesting verse in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 which says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is God's son and he had to learn anything as a surprise, but he had to learn obedience. And why would Jesus have to do that? And remember, we're to follow in his steps. He learned obedience. You know, there's a developmental process to learning. It doesn't just start off all there. You have to learn it. And through experience, we learn many things. Jesus learned from suffering, the stuff he didn't like, the uncomfortable stuff, the inconveniencing things of life. And sometimes, friends, your best teacher is your pain. Self-inflicted or not, your teacher can become your boss, your parents, or your mistakes. How many of you went to the school of hard knocks? Let's be honest. Unfortunately, some people don't learn anything in that school and they stay stuck in the grade they were in. And they repeat the frustrations over and over again and they don't learn obedience, which 
promotes them out of that phase that they're in. See, as you grow, you learn from that experience. Otherwise, you're a victim. You think somebody's after you. It's not your fault. You're always blaming everybody else. But if you can learn to lean in to the struggle that you're in and trust God that he's going to walk you through this, you will learn obedience and embrace, and he'll promote you past it. But if you don't, it becomes your prison. I wish I could preach more about that today, but I don't have the time. Jesus learned obedience. Everybody said obedience. Obedience is compliance with an order, a request or law, or yielding to another's authority. It's saying yes and complying with someone else's direction, even if we don't like it. Jesus had to do some things that he didn't feel like doing. I'm sure the morning he had to go to the cross, he didn't wake up going, Woohoo, I'm going to go through some pain today. But he didn't start off being able to embrace the most difficult challenge. He had to go through earlier challenges that seem more simple in comparison. And obedience is an attitude, not just an action. <laughs> it is. It's about your attitude. And God is interested in your attitude. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And, of course, in that passage it says that Jesus was equal with God, but he didn't consider it something to be grasped, it says, but he lowered himself in the form of a servant. See, Jesus had the ability to have an attitude, but he didn't have an attitude. And he is interested in your attitude. In fact, turn to the person next to you right now and say, Jesus is interested in your attitude. (laughs) It's true. Friends, There is no greater indicator of spiritual maturity than our attitude. It's about the attitude. There's a little kid in church, and he comes along with mom, and he keeps standing up on the chair, looking around during the service when everybody was sitting down. Mom says, sit down. She was getting a little embarrassed. He sits down a little bit later. He gets back up again. Looking around, she says, sit down. So he sits down. A little bit later, he's back up again, making fun of people, acting like he's picking his nose. And, you know, and finally mom says, sit down. And I said, sit down and stay down. He crosses his arms and he says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) How many know your attitude speaks? You can smell an attitude from a mile away some days. An attitude is a big deal. And Jesus is interested in your attitude. And by the way, if in our personal development we can learn to have a good attitude with things we don't like, it'll help us in our careers, in our employment. The, former, uh, the co-founder of Southwest Airlines, Herb Kelleher, said this, You don't hire people for skills. You employ for attitude." You can always teach skills. If you could learn to get your attitude together, maybe you would get a promotion. Well, I'm the best worker on my job. I know more than anybody else. I've been there for a long time. But what's your attitude like? I think that's one indicator of promotion above all other indicators. Jesus learned to sit down on the inside. He grew to trust the Father's heart and the guidance of the Spirit. Because he knew God knew what was best for him. Say this with me. God knows 
what's best for me. Turn to the person next to you and say, God knows what's best for you. There's a trust that comes when we trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on whose understanding? Your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. See, obedience requires trust. When you can trust, you can obey. And trust can grow. If you don't have a lot of trust in God yet, it can grow. Don't get frustrated. Your trust can grow. See, when we trust Jesus, we can obey what he says and follow where he leads. When we trust him, we can follow him. John 14, 21 says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. See, obedience equals saying yes to Jesus. It's saying yes on a daily moment by moment level. And we learn to do that. And the more mature we get, the easier it becomes. Did you know the more you say yes to Jesus, the easier it is later on? Conversely, the more you say no, the more difficult the pathway is back. See, we obey because we are already loved and we trust. We don't obey so that we can be loved. And in a world where people make you prove things in order to be loved, the unconditional love of God is such that while we were still sinners, Christ already died for us. And because we are loved, we obey. We don't, lo- we don't obey to get love. Our theology is grounded in grace and our behavior is grounded in gratitude. Now, conversely to obedience, to disobey is to trust or obey something else. So when we're in a place where we're disobeying, we're trusting in someone else. We're yielding to that. We could be trusting in our fears instead of God. We could be trusting or obeying our appetites instead of God. Philippians 3.18 says, their God is their appetite. How many know in America, we got big appetites? And I'm not just talking about food. We want to have fun. We want to do everything. We want it on demand and we want it now. We want it our way. But an appetite that has run awry becomes disobedience to the master of our soul. And we have to remember that if our appetite is growing too large, we're in danger of beginning to not have a daily yes to God, but to begin to have a no before him. When I was raising our kids, uh, there's a phrase that we would tell them because we would want them to learn to obey immediately. How many know what I'm talking about? Clean your room when I get done with this game. Dinner's done, come now, in a few minutes. But this is the phrase, delayed obedience equals disobedience. True? Say that with me. Delayed obedience equals disobedience. I think sometimes our obedience is up here, but it doesn't become an action. In other words, yeah, I plan on doing that. Someday I'll go follow through with what God is prompting me to do. At some point in the journey, I'll follow through on the prompting of the Spirit. But in reality, a delay in obedience is equivalent to disobedience. And in any case, disobeying is a negative thing in God's eyes. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, God is speaking a very harsh and indicting word 
to the king who had disobeyed him, King Saul. Through the prophet, he says this in verse 22, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. You know what he was saying there? He wasn't saying they're in radical witchcraft necessarily, although Saul was consulting other things. But a step of disobedience is actually a step towards consulting some other power. You're yielding to one thing or another. And in God's eyes, it's rebellion is like witchcraft. It's the worst thing you could do instead of following Jesus. So whatever you obey will become your leader. Whatever you obey will become your leader. And Jesus determined to show us through his life how to obey. Jesus obeyed. He said yes daily. You see him pulling away to pray. You see him listening to the Spirit. You hear him say, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. He learned obedience and he displayed obedience. And that's why Jesus led by example. And it brings us to today's moment in baptism. You see, Jesus himself decided, I'm going to be baptized because he was being obedient. In Matthew chapter 3, turn there with me. In Matthew chapter 3, we see the story of Jesus' baptism. It says in verse 13, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. (laughs) I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? How many of you would have probably said the same thing as John? Verse 15, but Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. I want you to say that out loud with me. For we must carry out all that God requires. Jesus is essentially showing the way and he's saying, I'm obedient. This is what we do. When you're a Christian and a Christ follower and you're part of the family of God, obedience is what we do. That's how we follow Jesus. And he's given us a great example. So John agreed to baptize him. It says in verse 16, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, which by the way, he was dunked, all right? As he came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So here's what I want you to catch. Jesus was obeying because God had required it. And when he did, something happened when he came up out of the water. The dove, which represented the spirit, came and it remained on him, it says in other gospels. The difference between Jesus being used of the Spirit and the prophets of the Old Testament was this one spot. They were obedient. They did their thing, but Jesus followed through. And in the Old Testament, the prophets, they would receive the Spirit for a specific action or uh, speaking an utterance to people or telling people uh, important words or news from God. And they would share those things with the people and the Spirit would inspire them. But as soon as they were done, With that, the spirit would lift. What made Jesus different is that when he came up out of the water, the spirit remained on him. And as it did, it stayed with him for his entire ministry. 
And there was this voice that said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. There was something that I want you to catch. Jesus' obedience propelled him into a new phase of ministry. And that's what the people that are gonna be baptized today are gonna walk through. They're gonna go through obedience. They've already decided to follow Jesus. This is their public moment of profession of their faith. But they're gonna come out of the water following their leader, Jesus. And as they come out, the spirit is gonna be close by. Not only will the spirit be close by, he's, they're open to all that the spirit has for them. And you can see what the spirit has available in the New Testament as the new church erupted and grew over, over time. But then there's a new phase, a new thing that's gonna be developed in their life. Now, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told everyone that we're left behind something. He gave them instructions in Matthew 28, 19. It says this, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. Disciples are learners following under Jesus. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which we'll do today for those that are being water baptized. And then verse 20, I want you to notice this. Teach these new disciples to what? To obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is telling them to make disciples, to baptize them, and then teach them to obey. In a sense, he's teaching them to say yes to the daily obedience after the baptism. Moving forward, they're going to say yes. They may not know everything about the walk of faith, may not be, be the perfect people, but as they say yes, more and more, they will become more and more like Jesus. It's a launching pad. It's a beginning point. They're just getting started. And for those of us that have already been baptized, it's a reminder of our own commitment of faith and what God has done in us and, and a reminder that we too need to keep obeying what the Spirit tells us to do. So today, as we transition to dozens of people who are saying yes to Jesus for the rest of their life, I want you to know that each person that walks into these waters has a story. And their story includes before Jesus, upon meeting Jesus, but how many know the rest of the story is about to be written? Something new is gonna happen. And listen, I want you to know this. Some of these people, they were baptized as kids in their own faith tradition because mom and dad believed that they wanted their kids to grow up in the faith. And these are not, as these adults and these people jump into the water, they're not nullifying what mom and dad did. They're not saying that was irrelevant. They're actually completing what their mom and dad's desire was when they were little kids. And as they step in, they're now making a choice, their own choice to say, I'm following Jesus. I'm going to follow him. So today, would you put your hands together and let's celebrate together as each one follows the leader.